Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. All throughout the book of Ezekiel, God has taken special care to note those men, those spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel who claimed to represent God but did not do so accurately. God refers to them as Israel's shepherds and regarded them as being responsible to Him for the spiritual guidance and well-being of the nation of Israel. The title of the message today is The False Shepherds and The Good Shepherd. You know, in this life, a relationship with God is not as much a destination as it is a journey. Certainly, we have a destination and our salvation revolves around uh, this reality of a change in destination, a change from uh, death unto life. As the Scriptures tell us, we pass in 1 John chapter 3 from death unto life. A change from headed toward heaven to headed excuse me, from headed toward hell to headed toward heaven. But, for all that there is a destination, really our day-to-day time with the Lord is called in Scripture a walk. One step in front of another, day by day, moment by moment, step by step. Your relationship with God is initiated by entering into the new covenant by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But from that moment on, you have a relationship with God whereby He accepts you as righteous on account of the atonement of Jesus Christ and you must now learn and grow and walk with the Lord. You need to learn about God, what He loves and what He hates. You need to learn to hate what He hates and love what He loves. You need to learn about righteousness. What is righteous and not is what is not. To hate that which is not righteous and to love righteousness. And you need to learn about life. What is expedient, what is not. What matters, what does not. And in order for you to accomplish this task, God has given you several resources in order to walk right with Him. First, Scriptures tell us that He has given you of His Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, convicts you of sin, guides you into all truth, chastens you back to Him in your wandering. Second, He has given you the Scriptures, His Word, the completed revelation of God to man, which contains all things pertaining unto life and godliness. It can make you complete. Scriptures say, truly furnished unto all good works. And third, He has given you the pastor-teacher. Men who are able to help you understand and apply the truths of the Word of God to your heart and life by teaching you how to submit your will to the Holy Spirit and to help protect you from the dangers of spiritual error and confusion. And so the pastor-teacher is here to guide you through the Scriptures and to facilitate the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the New Testament, the word pastor is the Greek word poimen, which literally translated is shepherd. A shepherd is one who is charged with the well-being of the sheep. He primarily cares for the sheep, but he also protects the sheep. And if need, he defends the sheep. 
we cannot understate how very necessary the role of the shepherd is, particularly for defense and protection. Now, sure, a shepherd um, is needed to, to feed the sheep. A sheep get, grazes in one area, and then he's going to need to be led to another area, another grazing pasture. But when it comes to defense and protection, a sheep uh, really is helpless, needs someone watching over it. When a sheep is injured, it is helpless. He needs a shepherd to tend and to carry him back to health. And so God ordains shepherds over the church, and He ordained shepherds over Israel as well. And these would have been the priests of the temple, those of the family of Levi. It was their responsibility, according to the Word of God, to learn the Scriptures, to teach the Scriptures, and then to faithfully live the Scriptures out in their lives as examples in order that the people of Israel would learn of God and learn to follow God by following the example of of the shepherds. Now, unfortunately, this was not the case in Israel. And in Ezekiel 34 today, we see what is perhaps the most comprehensive denunciation of the spiritual leaders in Israel. But we will also see through it one of the most comprehensive understandings of the role of a true shepherd and the promise of one who is known as the good shepherd. So today we'll see what God has to say to the shepherds in Israel. And by God's grace, we'll grow thereby. Scriptures tell us in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? We have perhaps mentioned this before, but the concept of a woe was that of denunciation, that of disappointment. It was a curse against one's actions, but it was also an exclamation of sorrow at those actions. This group of men, these shepherds of Israel, had done something terribly wrong, and God was now denouncing them for their actions. Now, all throughout God's message toward the spiritual leaders in Israel, he will be using a word picture of the shepherd and the sheep. We've talked about it in part. I've kind of assumed that you know what I'm talking about, but let me just shore up our understanding of it. He refers to these spiritual leaders as shepherd, and by extension, we understand the sheep of the shepherd to be the people who the leaders are expected to teach and to protect. So when God speaks of the flock, Or when God speaks of sheep, he is speaking metaphorically of the people of Israel. And then, of course, when God speaks of the shepherds, he is speaking metaphorically of the spiritual leaders of the land. And the problem is found at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3. Notice it with me. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flocks. The problem was that these so-called shepherds were using the flock's resources, but were not caring for the flock. They were using, as it were, the flock's wool to clothe themselves, but they weren't caring for the flock. They were killing the flock in order to eat, but they weren't caring for the flock. They were stripping all of the goodness from the flock, but then they weren't 
putting anything back into the flock. Verse 4 tells us that all the things which they should have been doing, they weren't. The spiritual leaders have seen sheep who were sick, but they didn't heal them. The spiritual leaders have seen those who were injured, but they didn't seek to mend their wounds. The spiritual leaders saw those who were driven away, but they didn't seek to restore them. They saw those who were lost, or they knew that they were lost, but they didn't go find them. And this was their responsibility as a spiritual leader, to grow a healthy flock, to see the needs of the flock, and to help with the needs of the flock. Now, what did they do instead? Well, scriptures tell us they took advantage of the sheep. They fed themselves. Notice what it says at the end of verse 4. But with force and cruelty have you ruled them. Rather than carefully and lovingly and tenderly pursuing after the flock, they ruled them by force. They were cruel. They took by threat instead of tending to the needs of the flock in love. And the Scriptures tell us what happens when a flock is tended to in such a way. Verse 5 says this, And they were scattered, because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Because the shepherds were derelict in their spiritual duties, the sheep were scattered and devoured by the beasts of the field. Because the shepherds refused to tend and protect the flock, the flock was dispersed and eventually destroyed. And notice verse 6, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. And this is what happens when you have false shepherds. The sheep scatter. So God has a message to these false shepherds found in verses 7-10. through 10. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there were no shepherd, neither did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. God judicially declares that, as He lives, He is against these shepherds. We all know that anyone who is living and breathing will make enemies. In fact, I read the uh, preface to the King James Version of our Bibles and the translators of that version say this, Not only as oft as we speak, as one saith, but also as oft as we do anything of note or consequence, we subject ourselves to everyone's censure. Quite literally, in the world, a man cannot open his mouth without creating enemies. If you take a stand on something, you're called closed-minded. If you don't take a stand on anything, then you're said to have no principles. If you assert anything to be true in this life, you're going to have people telling you you're wrong. If you assert anything that's false in this life, you're going to have people telling you it's true. You cannot get away from censure. You cannot get away from disagreement. It's, it's literally a part of who it is to be human. But you know, one, none of us wants to be in the place where the person who is against us 
in our thoughts or in our actions is God. We don't want God against us. And this is the exact circumstance that the shepherds of Israel had found themselves in. They had abused the flock that God gave them responsibility over and now they must answer to God for their sin. So God tells them in verse 10 that He will not allow them to feed the flock of God anymore. He also tells them that He will not allow them to feed off of His flock any longer. They have been stripped of their responsibility, but they've also been stripped of their privilege. Instead, God will tell them in verses 11-31 through 31 that He is going to take direct control over the flock of Israel. That He Himself will become a shepherd of the sheep. In verses 11-16, through 16, God tells them there's coming a day when He will take this direct responsibility upon Himself. Let's look at it together. Verse 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away. And I will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat of the strong." I will feed them with judgment. God tells them at this time there will be no middleman. That God Himself will be their shepherd. And notice how personal these verses are. In verse 11, I will search out my sheep. Verse 12, I will seek out. Verse 12, I will deliver. Verse 13, I will bring them out. Verses 13, 14, and 15, I will feed them. Verse 16, I will seek. God is a loving God who is dedicated to caring for His people. You know, we've seen so much judgment in this book. So many messages focused upon sin and upon sin's consequences. And these things are true. And it's, in many ways, the very nature of this book. But the reality of the legacy of God's interaction with this world as recorded in the Word of God is not a legacy of judgment, folks. It's a legacy of love. The Bible is about the love of God upon an undeserving world. And though God throughout history has sought to use men as the mouthpiece and even sometimes as the instrument of His love, the failure of mankind to do this, the failure of mankind to preach the Word of God properly, the failure of mankind to display the love of God properly, this failure will never be able to thwart His purpose of love and mercy. And so throughout Israel's history, though His shepherds have failed, God will not fail to gather and to care for the lost sheep of Israel. But in verses 17-20, through 20, God also warns not just the shepherds, 
but the flock. God warns the people of Israel that they are not all of His flock just because they are of Israel. And on the day when God takes over as shepherd of the sheep, He says He will also judge between the sheep. See, there were sheep in God's flock who, even though the shepherds were evil, they were still fat. Somehow, these sheep were not withering away like all of the other sheep. These were the sheep that, though they were not actually the spiritual leaders in Israel, they had sided with the spiritual leaders in their corruption and in their wickedness. And since sin loves company, these wicked people were rewarded by the false shepherds. Kind of a you-scratch-my-back-I'll-scratch-yours mentality. And God warns these sheep in verses 18-20 through 20, that He will also judge the sheep, not just the shepherds. Notice what He says beginning in verse 17. As for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but ye must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures? and have drunk of the deep waters, but ye must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat that which ye have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which ye have fouled with your feet. Therefore thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. God likens these unfaithful men and women to sheep who have taken their fill of the pasture and then trampled whatever was left so that the rest of the sheep could have none. At the same time that the spiritual leaders of the land were fleecing the sheep, were fleecing the people of the land of their goods and leaving them nothing in return, the segment of the people that were in league with these false shepherds in cooperation with these false shepherds, were gleaning of the riches of the land while the rest were impoverished. And so God says in verse 20 that He will judge between the fat cattle and the lean or the skinny cattle. He will judge those fat cattle for their fatness in the midst of the leanness of the rest of the land. And God promises that He will save His flock and judge His flock and he will shepherd his flock. This entire chapter has, in fact, been referencing a time that is still yet to come in Israel. We have yet to see the time when God physically takes over shepherding his flock. And the time that this comes about is in the time of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But we really don't see strong indicators of the timetable in this chapter until we get to verses 23 and following where God tells the nation of Israel who this shepherd will be that will rule over them. Hosea 3.5 and Jeremiah 30 verse 9 and then here in Ezekiel 34 all read the same. They all have the same message that David will rule over the people of Israel as the under-shepherd of God. Now while it is certainly possible that these are references to Jesus Christ Himself, it seems unlikely. It's more likely that the text is in fact speaking of the physical King David, who we know is dead now, but will be raised in the resurrection at the end of the tribulation. Now we'll get more into this in verses 37-48, through 48, but we'll see in just a moment why it is that I believe this to be the case. Verse 24 
God says this, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Verse 24 promises that the Lord, Jehovah, will be their God, will be their king, and that David will be their prince. Now, all throughout the book of Ezekiel, we've seen this concept of prince. We've seen the kings of Israel called the princes of Israel. We've seen the king of Tyre be called the prince of Tyre. And who was the king of Israel if the kings were the princes? Well, God was the king. And who was the king of Tyre if the king was a prince? Well, Satan was the king of Tyre. And so if we take Ezekiel's teaching and the precedent that has been laid out in the book of Ezekiel and we carry it forward, it would only make sense that if the kings, the physical earthly kings of the land were called princes because there was indeed a spiritual ruler over those lands, that David being called a prince of the people would seem to indicate that this David is not simply the son of David, Jesus Christ, who will indeed without question be the king, but rather that this will be a, a earthly king of the residue of those who are resurrected as opposed to God Himself, Jesus Christ in flesh at the resurrection or after the resurrection during the millennial reign of Christ. But what about the people? We've talked about Jehovah being king and David being prince. What about the people? Well, verses 25-29 through describe this as a time of peace and of safety and of rest for the people. In verse 25, God says that He will ordain them a covenant of peace. In verse 26, He promises them showers of blessing. In verse 27, He tells them that they will be safe in their land. In verse 28, he'll say, He says that they will no longer be a prey. In verse 29, He says that they'll no longer be consumed with hunger. Now, there's only one time in all of history as the Scriptures bear out that this is the case. There's only one time in the history of the world where we will see a time where Israel will be at complete peace and have great blessings and be safe in their land and, and not be consumed with any hunger. It's a time that we'll, we will see described in chapters 35, 36, 37, 38, all the way through verse, chapter 48. And it is the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so God promises in verses 30 and 31 that when all of this happens, when all of this comes to pass, when they have the peace and the prosperity and when they have the blessings, they will know that God is the Lord. He will be their God and they will be His flock. Well, there's so much to apply this evening. I trust that God has already begun to link the past to the present through His Holy Spirit. We talked about shepherds this morning in a manner of speaking that the laborer is worthy of his hire. We're talking about shepherds again this evening. Five points to consider briefly as we close. Point number one, consider the conditions of a true shepherd. I reference you back to verse four as we consider the conditions of a true shepherd. The disease, God says, have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and cruelty ye have ruled them. If we were to negate those condemnations, we would see 
what it is to be a true shepherd. They strengthen the spiritually diseased. They heal the spiritually sick. They bind the spiritually broken. They restore the spiritually outcast. And they seek the spiritually lost. As we consider the spiritual leaders of our day, we must understand that this is the responsibility of the pastors and the deacons and the spiritual leaders in the church. It's the responsibility of the ministers of God to strengthen the flock of God. But let's be more clear and specific here. It is the responsibility of God's ministers to strengthen the flock of God according to God's Word. See, it's not enough that a minister gives self-help advice to help people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps to feel good about themselves, to feel like they're going in a good direction, or to make money and to find some sort of carnal happiness in this life. It's not enough that spiritual leaders give books on being the best you that you can be. It's not enough that spiritual leaders seek to win the people to a message or to a man or to a system. A spiritual leader must seek, strengthen, heal, and grow God's people God's way. This means a spiritual leader must preach against sin because sin is that which weakens and damages God's people. And and God's shepherds are charged with the responsibility of healing God's people. That means a spiritual leader must preach about love because God's love is indeed the fulfillment of the law. It is the glue that connects God's words to believers' hearts. Colossians tells us that uh, charity is the bond of perfectness. That means spiritual leaders must preach about forgiveness because without forgiveness there can be no restoration. And that means a spiritual leader must preach about grace because only the grace of God can bind the wounds of the spiritually broken. Do you want to find true shepherds? Find men who strengthen the spiritually diseased, who heal the spiritually sick, who bind the spiritually broken, who restore the spiritually outcast, and who seek the spiritually lost. Thus is the condition of the true shepherd. Consider secondly with me the condition of the false shepherd. The false shepherd can be defined as the opposite of that which was true. It can be defined by the very literal terms read in verse 4. The false shepherd may seek to be a spiritual blessing, but he tries to do it outside of God's prescribed way, outside of God's Word. They try to give people hope without giving them truth. They try to tell people that God loves them, but they fail to tell them why this love is so important. Because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And there's nothing lovable within us. They try to help people heal from their spiritually pain, spiritual pains, but they do it by encouraging them to turn inward and to love themselves and to pamper themselves and to remove from themselves the, the reminders of this pain rather than to turn these pains over to God and to submit themselves to Him. They use man's methods and solutions rather than God's methods and solutions. They prescribe to man's philosophies and forsake God's philosophies. And through it all, the one that benefits the most from the spiritual endeavors of the false shepherd is himself. People will flock to a message that promises God's blessings without preaching God's expectations. People will flock to a message that preaches grace without preaching sin. 
People will flock to a message that exalts their own goodness and their own ability while minimizing the need for humility and submission. And if people will listen, then people will give. And the old adage goes, if you want to get rich, don't start a business. Start a religion. A false shepherd fleeces the flock of God for his own honor, for his own personal gain. He will not preach truth because people hate truth and they won't come and they won't listen. He will mingle truth with error, seeking diligently to gain people or to gain money at the expense of doctrine and righteousness. And the consequences of false shepherds among the flock is the same now as it was then. Verse 5 told us what the consequences of the false shepherds were. The false shepherd caused the flock to scatter and to become prey to the wild beasts. Is this not the condition of the church today? The church is divided along dozens of theological lines because pastors won't carefully study their Bible and present clear truth. The church has been scattered. And without the protection of the flock and the solid shepherds, They have been devoured by false doctrine, devoured by humanism, devoured by pagan spirituality, devoured by culture. But there's coming a day when God will hold these men accountable. Mark it down. Third point this evening. Consider the accountability of every shepherd. Every minister, true or false, will stand before God one day and answer for his ministry. God told the false shepherds in verse 10 that He would require His flock at their hand, and so He will today. Rest assured that every man who claims to represent God will one day be held accountable for what he teaches and what he preaches. Rest assured the false teachers will indeed be accountable for their deceit, for their lies. Fourth, this evening, consider the accountability of the flock. As God's people... It's not just the pastors and the shepherds that are accountable. God tells us the flock is accountable as well. There were those in Ezekiel's day who joined the false teachers in fleecing the flock, perpetuating their lies and gaining off of the false teaching. And there is coming a day when you will stand before God as well. And when you do, you do not want to be numbered among those who have sought to deceive. Now I remind you of this, not so that you would be paranoid or fearful of what you don't know about teachers and don't know about their ministries or ministers, but rather that you would be a good steward of what you do know, that you would not allow false teaching to be recommended through you or to um, be encouraged by you in any way. So we consider the condition of the true shepherd, consider the condition of the false shepherd, consider the accountability of every shepherd, consider the accountability of the flock, and then finally, consider the good shepherd. It is important to note finally that Ezekiel 34 is an essential passage of Scripture proving that Jesus Christ is both Messiah and God. In this passage, God promised to judge the false shepherds and then to become Israel's shepherd himself guiding them and protecting them. Since the time of this prophecy, Israel has been looking for the one, the Messiah, who would fulfill this promise of removing the false shepherds and physically shepherding 
them himself. One day, about 2,000 years ago, there came a man named Jesus and he claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. And in John 10, Jesus Christ was speaking to a large group of Jews and He told them this in verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. It is in this passage that Jesus directly links His ministry upon the earth to the promises of God to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel 34. Jesus is announcing Himself to be God, the God who promised the nation of Israel that He would shepherd them personally. He's saying, I have finally come to do for you what these false shepherds have never done. I have finally come to take upon Myself the responsibility of shepherding you. And as Jesus walked upon this earth, He proclaimed, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus perfectly fulfills every qualification of the shepherd for His people. He heals us. He protects us. He binds us. He seeks us. He loves us. He sustains us. He cares for us. It is our privilege in this life not to rely upon any earthly shepherd, whether false or true. Now, it is my prayer that you find your pastor to be what we would call a true shepherd. But my role as true shepherd of the flock is only a subservient one. I am only successful as I point you to the true shepherd and exhort you to live according to the word and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am, if you will take my meaning so, the sheepdog. You have the sheep. You have the shepherd. And oftentimes the shepherd delegates some of the responsibilities of corralling the sheep and protecting the sheep to his sheepdog. If I'm being a good pastor, then I'm being like the sheepdog. I'm not the one that's making the rules. I'm not guiding you the way I want you to go. I'm just following the commands of the shepherd. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. The good shepherd bought all of us with his blood. And as we close, let me just remind you of your, your response to the good shepherd. In John 10, Jesus called Himself the Good Shepherd. He taught in regard to the Good Shepherd and the sheep. And in verse 27, He said this, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. The implication, the expectation of Jesus for His sheep is that they would hear Him and they would follow Him. By God's grace, your pastor will for years to come, spend his time and his effort giving you the words of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. But it's not my responsibility to follow those words for you. I can't. I can follow them as an example. It's your responsibility to follow them. You are the sheep. You are the flock of God. Jesus Christ is your shepherd. It's His words that you follow. And God says, My sheep hear My voice and they follow Me. Are you following your shepherd today? Are you walking in the steps of the Good Shepherd in your life? Are you day by day, moment by moment, following in the footsteps of the One who gave His life for you? He is the Good Shepherd. He has given His life for the sheep. Sheep, Are you following Him? Let's pray.